But over in the book of Acts chapter 19 is, is where we'll be this morning. Acts chapter 19 verses 1 through 7. And, 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 and this, this chapter, these, these couple of verses that we're going to, to read today, is we've talked about how this the general theme of all of Acts is the power of the Holy Spirit working in the, in the early church. But I, I want us to understand, I want us to talk about today a relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? A relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want us to, to look at some, some maybe some things that we see here, and we're going to read in this scripture that we might we might often think of ourselves, right? That we might have misconceptions about it. We might not understand completely what is going on in certain areas, certain aspects of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7 here. So we'll have it on the screen to follow along with the scriptures. Either way works. Um, but as we read this scripture, really pay attention to what's happening. Because we're really going to break this down, uh, just a few verses, chunks here and there, to these seven verses, to understand what is going on with Paul's interaction with these few men that we're going to read about here in a minute. And then we're going to draw from other scripture to help us better understand what Paul is communicating, what is happening, and how we should apply it to our own lives, right? So Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7 reads like this. It says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. Right? So this is Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. Right? I want to start by addressing what we just see with these men. And that's not all, right? That is, that is not all. These men were participating people in the church. It says they were disciples, which means they followed, right? They were followers in, in that sense, at least, where they followed along with the group. They followed along maybe with some of the teachings and whatnot. But what I believe we see is that is the reality that we see in our world today. And, if, and it might be shocking to some of us to understand this or to hear this, but I want you to understand that not every person that you've ever shared a pew with in church is saved. That not every person that you've ever seen raise their hand in church is, is saved. Not every person that has come to the church that you grew up with is saved. Not every person that you went to the fellowship hall and, and had homecoming or Christmas dinner with or even been in a Christmas play with is saved, right? Not every member of the churches that we go to are saved all the times, right? Not every person that goes through and, and, and does all these things that even professes to be saved is saved, right? There are many, the Bible tells us, that have a form of godliness but are yet denying the power of Thereof. There are many people that we grow up and grow up with and love and cherish and, and honor and think highly of, and they, they go to church, but they may not have that relationship with God. Right? So I want us to look here at what the scripture, what he says to these men. He says, and finding some disciples. So he says they're disciples, they're followers, they're with this group, right? There's a lot of people that are church members. They would consider them church members. They go to that church, they participate in that church. But he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into 
John's baptism. I want us to take a real quick second, just look at this question. Look at this question that Paul asked him. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Understand this. Paul, out of all the Christian authority that was alive and existed in that time in history, was probably one of the most elect with the other apostles, right? Peter, James, and John, Tim, and all those other ones. You have to have Paul right up there, right? So Paul understood and would know these men. I read this scripture, I read this verse, and it reminds me of the conversation that Jesus has with the woman at the well. He says, go and get your husband. Right? And she says, I don't have a husband. And then he says, you speak well because you do not have one husband. You've been with five and the one you're with right now is is not your own. Jesus knew before he answered the question, he used the question to start a conversation that he already knew that what the answer would be to. Right? It wasn't like Jesus was trying to find out who her husband was. It wasn't like Jesus was trying to find out what was going on with her situation. He already knew. He just used the question to make her... Think about our situation. I believe Paul is doing the same thing in this. He already knows these men, right? This isn't the first time he's been to Ephesus. He established the church in Ephesus the last time he came through here. He knew the people that were running the church in Ephesus. He knew the ones that had been saved. He knew they had been rotten back and forth to him. He knew these guys' situations. So what does he do? He uses a question to make them think about their situation. Well, when you were... When you believed, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And made them think, well, who even is this Holy Spirit? Right? And I want us to understand. There are a lot of people in church that may profess to be saved, but don't know little about the gospel message of who Jesus is. Right? They do not know who they are following, who they have believed in, who they really profess to understand, who they profess to follow, and they don't know who that is. And that's what Paul is drawing their attention to. He's saying, you say that you believe. You say that you are a disciple, yet you do not know the power of which that has given you that you say have been saved. He says, if you would have been saved, you would have known this Holy Spirit. And let's be real. I've, raised, I've been raised in church, and most of us probably were. I know we've you know, like several that have been in different churches around. And we understand that, that, and even us ourselves at times, we lack knowledge, and we lack wisdom, and we lack understanding. And there's been many a times where I've been around people in ministry that have just had a desire to feel part of something, right? They want to be part of something, or they had a friend that came to church and was part of something, or maybe there's some kind of emotional remorse in their life in that moment, and they come and they make a profession of faith, never truly understanding what we'll talk about in a minute, the fullness of the gospel message, and never truly accepting that. They will follow certain belief systems, they will do certain things that the church deems appropriate, but they do not know Jesus. They do not know Jesus. Because just because you give to the tithes doesn't make you a Christian. And just because you sing the songs doesn't make you a Christian. And just because you come to church on Sunday doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you have a Bible in your car and at your house, and just because you've got the app on your phone, and just because you know the newest worship songs and things of that nature does not make you a Christian. 
does not make you a Christian. Scripture tells us this over Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, you workers of iniquity. The translation says, right? Not all that have this form of God, and it says not all that take on these robes of, of Christianity, right? That we look like a Christian, they may act like a Christian in some ways, they might do certain Christian things. That is not what makes us a Christian. And we need to understand that it takes a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to make us one of His own. Right? That relationship with Him. What we see oftentimes is a form of religion, yet we have no relationship. We've talked about that before, right? Or another saying is there's profession, but no possession of that relationship with Christ. And we see that. We must acknowledge that. And we must be aware of that, not only for ourselves, but for the young people in our lives as well, right? Because I understand and you understand that we oftentimes as youth make decisions that we do not know the decision that we are making, right? That we follow along with somebody else's and it's going to be very damaging to a young person to just make a move out of emotion and yet they do not have somebody that's speaking truth to them to ask them the difficult questions like Paul are asking these young men, did you have this experience with God or did you just have an emotional experience with yourself? And we must acknowledge that. We at D19, we have to be aware of that, right? We're getting 30, 40 kids in there every week, and things can happen in people's lives. You can lose somebody you love. Something traumatic can happen. Something bad can happen in your life. And you can make an emotional decision, but you never really accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And we must be aware of that. For some reason, whatever it was, these men had not accepted Christ, whether ignorance, they didn't know the fullness of the gospel, whether bad teaching, somebody told them the wrong thing, the bad thing, that the baptism of John was all they needed. Whatever it was, they had not received the fullness of the gospel message. They had not received Jesus Christ as their Savior in a relationship with Him. They had a form, they had something that looked good, but Paul knew and he understood, where's the, the Spirit? Where's the Spirit? Right? Where's the Spirit? So let's talk about the whole gospel. What is the whole gospel? I, I want to start and look like, what, what was it that John taught? Because he said, well, what then were you baptized into? They said, well, we took John's baptism. This is talking about John the Baptist, right? So what was it that John the Baptist taught them and taught every, the people in that land about baptism, about the relationship that he had? He says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, it says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming with me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now understand this. As I've studied for this sermon, I've, studied, I've read this scripture. It's like we knew we, we, this is a place that we didn't just want to avoid. We want to hit this scripture and understand what it's talking about and begin to study into the Jewish tradition, into the, the history of the people, the Old Testament stuff, into what was going on here, into what John the Baptist was doing. Okay, so follow along with me as I'm going. To, we're going to look at some of the history with it, and it might seem a little odd or off, but this is really important to what Paul is teaching them here in the Scripture, and what we need to understand as well. Okay, what we need to understand about what John the Baptist was doing in Jewish culture. John was not the first person to do this baptism in water. That wasn't even that strange at that point of history. 
If you look at the Old Testament and you look at the history of the, of the temple, of the Jewish culture and Jewish society, total immersion in water was a common practice that some people participated in on a daily matter, but nevertheless, everybody participated in on a pretty regular manner. It was called, I don't want to probably pronounce it wrong, Tevelah, to totally immerse, and it's where we get the understanding of baptism from. Tevelah. Okay? It was done in what they would call a milkah, which was just a place of gathering waters. Right? John the Baptist went to the river. Sometimes they would have concrete places that were built for, in the temple where they would go and they would dunk in before they would go in. All kinds of different manners of that way. What it was, the Tevelah was a ritual. It was significance of the ritually becoming from unclean to ritually clean. That's all it was. That is what they participated in. And you had to go through the Tevelah before several different things. Not to mention, it holds great significance in a preparation for marriage. The man and the woman would go through the Tevelah before they were married, so they would come into their marriage pure. And it also had great, great importance when you were coming into the presence of God, when you would go into the temple. Okay? Grace and empathy in that. Understand? I say all that to say this. What was John the Baptist there to do? The Bible says in Isaiah, he was come to make the way straight for the one that would come after him. What he was doing, he was preparing the Jewish people to enter into the presence of God. Man, you, you don't... That's good. Yeah. Okay? Amen. That's good. <clears throat> he was preparing the Jewish people to entertain the presence of God. Not only that, for preparation for the marriage. You don't know how good that is. Yeah. That's good. Amen. Right? This is what John the Baptist came to. Not to introduce us to the tradition of baptism, people in water. It wasn't new. Right? Not to come and just do a different kind of thing. He was coming with the intention for repentance. But not repentance as unto salvation, but repentance unto to enter into the presence of God to prepare yourself to see the coming Savior. Because he knew. This is the thing. If you understand the history of the Jewish people, they understood their belief was them being Jewish was enough to make them righteous. That their Judaism made them righteous. Right. Well, what John came to tell them, you need to repent of that mindset because you had to prepare to... Receive the presence of God in full. Now here's the thing. There was many people that would take the baptism of John and think that was sufficient for all that they needed. That's where we find these men. They took the baptism of John. They no doubt had repented of their sins, yet they had not believed. Yeah. In Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul says. says, Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with baptism and repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. He says, yes, John was not wrong. John had a good doctrine. John taught a great thing. He gave you great wisdom and great knowledge and great understanding. John was way beyond the Sadducees and the Pharisees' way of thinking. But here's the thing. You stopped at that. John came and went, and the one that he prophesied about has come Amen. that is on Christ Jesus. What he's saying is basically what he said to them at Mars Hill, right? He says, 
you were baptized with the expectation of the Messiah coming. I tell you, he has come. Yeah. Just like he told those of Barcelona, you worship this God, I'm going to tell you who that God is. It was two people. You had pagans and you had Jewish folk that had the same problem. They didn't know who Jesus was. Right. Amen. And there's people out in the world that have the same problem as some people that sit in pews. They don't know who Jesus is. Amen. And that is where salvation and relationship with the Holy Spirit comes from. Knowing who Jesus is. Not just saying I know him as a historical figure. And not just saying that I know him as a religious person. Not just even saying with your words that I believe that he was some divine being, but understanding it and believing it yeah. in our heart. In our heart. Where it matters. Really truly understanding and believing. That's what Romans tells us is to confess with the mouth and believe with the heart. But we, we sometimes ignore the fullness of what that means to believe that Jesus Christ, to believe in Him in our heart. Not just to believe in Him, but to believe that everything He spoke was true. Everything He said was true. What He said of Himself, what He said of mankind, what He said of us, what he said on the cross, all of it was true. And we must believe that to receive that relationship with him. Right? We may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but not believe that we are sinful creatures doomed to hell. You've missed part of it. You have. I mean, that's part of it. If you don't believe Jesus Christ is the propitiation of our sins, then you don't believe Jesus Christ as a messianic figure, that he is, is and will always be. Thus, you will not have a relationship with the Christ, the King, the Lord of all. We have to believe Him for all that He says He is. The whole gospel. These men believed a part of it, right? I need to repent. The Messiah is coming. I need to make my life right. I need to get things straightened out. I need to get things situated. I need to take my mind and put it on things to come. Yet they never received Jesus. And so too are so many in the church world today. I want to do better. Or I think there's a better way. Or even I know I've got some wrong in my life. Or even maybe it's I was raised in this and I know what to do. Whatever it may be. But we have to know Jesus. And as the fullness that the gospel tells us that he is. Not just a little baby Jesus in the manger. Not just the Jesus on the cross. And not just the Jesus in the tomb, but the Jesus that sits on the throne making intercessions for me and you still today. The Jesus that will return one, one day to call his children home, to, to take us up in the air immediately in the moment of blinking of an eye. That's making a place for us in, in, in heaven, the Bible says. We must believe upon the name of Jesus. Upon the name of Jesus. To have a relationship with this Holy Spirit. That we have seen in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and the next eight chapters, I believe it is, nine chapters. That Holy Spirit, that relationship with Him, comes with the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. He said earlier, I stand at the door and knock. The door 
is my heart. He says, I established my kingdom in the hearts and lives of men and women. His presence is with us. Amen. Right? Yes, but there has to be evidence of that. I understand this, because this can be twisted very easily. What I'm about to say is not saying that we must meet a certain standard to maintain our salvation. That is not what I'm about to teach you. I'm not saying that once you're saved, there's a quota of good deeds that you have to do to get across the finish line. This ain't some kind of pyramid scheme, right? That you have to see so many people be saved to get to heaven. That you have to do so many good deeds to get... That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is a relationship with God will provide, Scripture says, fruit. But there will be evidence of a relationship with the divine Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. There will be evidence of it. We see it said this way with Paul. It says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they accepted it, right? And it's like, okay, we, we had the baptism of, of us think what we thought, what we knew. We were ignorant of the fullness of the gospel. We accept the fullness of the gospel now. And it says, when Paul had laid hands on them, baptized them and everything, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. What are those two things? Don't get caught up on what they are, what they simply are in a broad sense, are evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit. Evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit. We can get into all of the stuff about tongues and all that. We're not going to right now. All I want us to understand is that there should be evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life if you have a relationship with Him. Right? If you have a relationship with Him. We understand in Ephesians or Galatians 5, 22-23, this is what Paul, this is Paul himself. This is Paul, the Paul, the one that just baptized these fellows, the one that just helped them understand the fullness of the gospel, the one that just did all these wonderful things. This is what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit, if you want to know it's there, this is what you should see, Amen. is love, joy, peace. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul talks over in 1 Corinthians when he's talking about the gifts. He makes it very clear. Not everybody is going to have each and every one of the gifts. So you can't rely on the gifts as evidence. If there's only preachers that were evidence of the Holy Spirit, guess what? There'd just be one about every church. If it was just teaching, there'd be three or four. If it was just this, if there was healing, there wouldn't be very many of us, right? He says, this is what they all should have. He says, different ones will have different gifts. Don't That's not the proof in the pudding. This is the proof in the pudding. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But there needs to be evidence of your relationship of the Holy Spirit living and thriving within you. Understand this. Me and my nature, my fleshly, human, sinful nature, can hinder the working of the Holy Spirit through me, or I can heighten the power of the Holy Spirit working through me. Through my obedience and through my relationship with the Holy Spirit. If I feed it, if I 
if I go and do what I know I'm supposed to do, if I believe, looking at Scripture, if I'm attending church faithfully, if I'm reading my Bible faithfully, if I'm spending time in prayer and worship faithfully, if I am being obedient to what He says and caring for those that He cared for, being generous, being self-sacrificing, and all these things, following along with these, my relationship with the Holy Spirit will prosper and will grow. Thus, the power and the impact of the Holy Spirit working through me will grow as well. Yeah. But the same can be said as I can hinder it too. And I can stop it. And I can cap it. And I can clog it up. And I can make it where it's ineffective in my life, in the lives of those around me, by being disobedient and not honoring my relationship with God in the way I should. Right? But there should be evidence of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of our lives, right? You may say, well, I'm not a big talker. That's okay. That's not the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You might say, I can't sing. That's okay. That's not evidence of the Holy Spirit. You might say, I can't preach, or I can't do this, or I'm not really good at, at talking about Scripture, I'm not really good at understanding it, I'm not really good sharing this, or, or doing this part, or whatever it may be. That's okay. That's not evidence of the, of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are. Yeah. And here's the thing. If you're not good at those, then that's where the Holy Spirit needs to take over. And you need to allow Him to make you good at those. I love my dad. Death, he would say the same thing. He had a quick temper. And he would always say, I was just born that way. Right? There's some of you born with a quick temper. There's some of you born with maybe a little harshness in you. Maybe born with a little greed or a little bit, you know... You're, you're self-preserving more than you're self-sacrificing. You got that in you. Maybe you were raised that way. Maybe it's just something that you just came naturally to you. That's no excuse when the Holy Spirit lives within you. And that means that those things should be crucified so these things can live. Amen. So that the evidence of the Holy Spirit is present in your life. Go back to it again. Like I said at the first, Paul was asking this that question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Not because he didn't know. Paul obviously saw something where he was like, the fruit's not there, boys. Let's have this conversation. Did you receive it? What's the Holy Spirit? And he walks down that pathway. We need to ask ourselves sometimes, is the Holy Spirit living and thriving within me? Am I showing the fruit and the evidence of a, of a life that is led by the Holy Spirit in my relationship with it? Ask ourselves that question. A lot of times we already know the answer. If we're honest with ourselves, we already know the answer. But sometimes it's just to start that conversation with ourselves that leads us to the place where we understand, I need to do something different. I need to do something different. The relationship with the Holy Spirit is important and relevant to the modern Christian just as much as it was to the Christian 2,000 years ago. Though the way it works... And how it presents itself, I believe, has changed in a sense because the world has changed in many senses, right? He is still the Holy Spirit, all-powerful, mighty, to work and to move amongst His people. Amen. And we should show evidence of that. People being saved is great. That's not necessarily just all the evidence of the Holy Spirit, right? You can have a church where a lot of people are coming to, but there's not a lot of that. But if you have a lot of that, the working of the Holy Spirit will follow and will grow and will flourish from that. Right? So we have to understand that just because we come to church, 
doesn't mean we're where God wants us to be. And just because we do Christian things doesn't necessarily mean that everybody that comes into the door is saved, right? We're going to have people. And we need to always be under that understanding, especially with young people, to not just gloss it off. They had, a, they had an experience when they were little. Have those conversations with them that Paul did, right? We also need to understand the fullness of the gospel. That who Jesus, not just the baby Jesus, not just the crucified Jesus, not just the buried Jesus, not just the resurrected Jesus, but the fullness of who Jesus said He was. That is who we are to believe in. The fullness of who He said He was. And then provide evidence of that life, of that Spirit living within us. Amen. But the relationship with the, the Holy Spirit is something that we need to be more cognizant of be more aware of and that we need to feed and strengthen and use more than we currently do. Amen.